Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined as always by my colleague Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And West final show of the week leading into Packers-Lions, the season finale for both teams, Sunday noon central kickoff at Ford Field in Detroit. It's keys to victory day, and we always start on the offensive side of the ball for the Packers. So what do you got? I mean, Alex Van Pelt, in a joking manner, uh, said during his Thursday news conference when the assistant coaches were available. I mean, Brett Hundley's back on the road. He's been hot on the road, so <laughs> you hope that that continues. Uh, certainly he, he did reiterate that he think that's that's kind of a fluke the way that the stats have turned out this year. Hundley's road passer rating, though, you can't argue with it. It's like 98, and he has had a lot, fair share of success, particularly late in ball games. Uh, when he's away from Lambeau Field. So um, while the Packers believe that he can win games at home and believe he can throw touchdowns at home, um, they, they're fine with riding the hot hand at Ford Field. And this is an interesting ball game, Mike, because after last week I was kind of, you know, I said one of the keys of victory is I didn't anticipate they'd throw more than 35 times. They end up throwing for 40 times in that weather. Not exactly ideal. Well, right. now you're in the temperate you know, dome. So uh, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. It's back to back years, the Packers finishing the season in Detroit. Much different scenario than a year ago where there was a lot of different, while they both were in the playoffs, there was a lot of different things on the line in terms of seeding. Yeah. So I, it, it'll be interesting to watch. But Hunley definitely, it, it starts with him and protecting the football. Yeah, and I don't know how to explain his home versus road statistics. It's, it, to me, I don't think it's possible. It, do, it doesn't make a whole lot yeah. of sense because it's not as though the games in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, those road games, were were these pristine conditions. Right. I mean, they were very similar, not like Minnesota last Saturday night where it was very, very cold. But he's played road games in the chilly conditions and a little bit of wind and things like that. So the difference between the home and the road statistics to me, I'm not going to try to try to provide an explanation. But what I will say about what the Packers need to do to win this game, for me it just comes down to making the plays that are there because there were plays to be made against the Minnesota Vikings that could have put pressure on Minnesota that would have kept the Packers in the game. It was about a half a dozen drop passes. All of them would have been for first downs, would have kept drives going, would have developed some rhythm and momentum for your young quarterback. And the Packers just dropped the ball too many times. And I know there are some accuracy issues with Brett Hundley. There were some deep balls late in the game that weren't on target, other things like that that happened. But when he does make the throw, the Packers have got to catch the ball and they've got to help out their young quarterback to uh, to develop some of that rhythm and momentum. That's what they need to do indoors on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting matchup for the Packers here because they already know they're not going to have Devontae Adams. They won't have Jordy Nelson. Jari Evans has been rolled out of this one. They're starting right guard for 14 games this season. So it's going to be a lot of young guys playing in this ball game. And obviously Geronimo Allison's another guy to keep an eye on too from that regard dealing with his illness this week. So whether it is Michael Clark or Trevor Davis, um, you know, even a guy like Devontae Mays, if he gets in there in the backfield, yeah. um, they need to make sure that, that they have that chance that they're focused in on it and trying to make the most of it. I think back to that play, and you and I discussed this, of, you know, it takes two to tango, and Brett Hundley threw a heck of a ball on that deep pass to Trevor Davis last week against Minnesota. Davis doesn't get his arms out. Could have potentially, with his speed, been a, you know, a catch and run for a touchdown. Didn't work out that way, though. And then that's the small kind of room for error that you have to deal with when even when you know Hundley throws a perfect ball it doesn't mean the big play is going to happen so it takes the receivers it takes the quarterbacks being on the same page and they'll look to develop another one of them against Detroit the one thing I'll add though 
he has had a lot of comfort level with these guys. He's thrown a lot of passes to Jeff Janis and, you know, Michael Clark over the past, you know, three, four months in these scout teams and in preseason. So he does have that to fall back on. Yeah, and I'm not sure the play with Davis uh, that you talked about. I don't know if he lost the ball in the lights or just didn't see it or, or what happened there because uh, it was just really strange to see him not only not try to dive for it but didn't even really put his arms out yeah. for it. I thought that was one of the more accurate, one of the better deep ball throws that we've seen from Brett right. Hundley, you know, really since the Pittsburgh game probably in terms of really trying to take a shot downfield and whatever the circumstances were, it didn't work out. Those are the opportunities that the Packers simply can't let slip away here because Hey, this uh, this Detroit Lions offense, as we'll talk about in the next segment with the keys to victory on defense, this Lions offense came into Lambeau Field and kind of lit up the Packers' defense last time. The Packers are going to need to score some points on Sunday in order to win this game, try to finish the season at 8-8. Eight and eight. When you have an opportunity to make a play, you can't let it get away. Yeah, and I don't want to sit here and make this like I'm, I'm trying to rip on Trevor Davis or anything like that. It's just I think it really shows you why this game, in, in my opinion, is so beautiful because it takes more than one player at times to make a big play happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You think even of that back shoulder throw, um, you can look at the Michael Clark one, you know, where it didn't work out there. But think back, you know, to last year when Aaron Rodgers was trying to connect with Devontae Adams on that in the end zone. It's not easy. Sometimes it takes a redo to make those things happen. Yep. And sometimes you're not afforded that opportunity. So it's time. It's things that these guys are going to develop. You know, and the more reps they get, the faster they're going to play, the better it's going to be for them in the long run. That depth chart is going to be really deep going into the offseason for the Packers at receiver. So it's going to take, you know, these small moments in time to really allow guys like Michael Clark or, you know, Trevor Davis to really cement themselves in this lineup. Yeah, trying to finish on a high note. But uh, with that, we'll toss it to a break back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, continuing our discussion of keys to victory, but shifting gears to the defensive side of the ball for the Green Bay Packers, heading into Ford Field against Matthew Stafford in that Lions offense. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think it starts with getting pressure on Matthew Stafford in that Lions offense. Yeah. I mean, uh, you look at his stats, and I don't have them all up in front of me right now, Mike, but I will say, much like a lot of NFL quarterbacks, but I think specifically with Stafford, uh, the more pressure you get on him, the better chances your defense is going to have um, because sometimes that's where he forsakes the fundamentals. I think that's sort of been the book on him over the years. Yeah. The, arm, the, the football start coming out sidearm. They'll start throwing off his back foot a little bit more. So that's going to be really important. And I think one of the reasons why that feeds so much into it is because of what he has outside with Marvin Jones Jr. We've seen what he's done when he's been able to really get that rhythm and timing going with Stafford against this Packers defense. Golden Tate is a guy that has been there for a number of years, one of the most effective you know, possession receivers in the game. Um, I look at this Packers defense. Now, again, as I mentioned, you're not going to have Nick Perry in this contest. Clay Matthews dealing with the hamstring injury. We'll have to see what he can give them. But you look at Kenny Clark inside coming off his two-sack performance. You have Mike Daniels there. Sounds like he'll be a full go despite the shoulder injury he sustained in practice this week. If you can get that interior pressure, that's what's going to allow that stuff to open up a little bit more for those guys outside. Yeah, when I look at the first meeting this season between the Packers and the Lions, I think it's safe to say that Matthew Stafford got into a rhythm and the Packers never got him out of it. And when you talk about pressure, whether it's just getting him off the spot, disrupting that passing game somehow. And 
it just seemed like whatever the Packers tried on that Monday night game back in November, whether it was a slot blitz, whether it was you know the the cross dog in the middle, anything they did to try to disrupt Stafford, it was like he had his guys ready. They picked everything up. He was getting the ball out on time. The Packers just never got that rhythm disrupted. So whatever it takes, you can't let him settle in because playing at home, you know, it's going to be even more difficult to, uh, to to hold that offense down. And uh, this Packers defense, as I said earlier this week, I think I think they're out they're they're out playing for a little bit of pride because to me, when I look at the entire the entirety of this season, Aaron Rodgers or no Aaron Rodgers or whatever, I think that defensive performance against the Lions on Monday night was maybe the most disappointing one of the entire season. Yeah. I think this Packers defense wants to make up for it. Yeah, I agree, Mike. And, and the thing that's kind of interesting too, when you go back and look at you know the history there against Matthew Stafford, and really recently this Lions offense, it's a little bit different than most weeks because you and I will sit here at times and say, hey, you want to try to make them one-dimensional. The Lions, for better or worse, inherently are one-dimensional. <laughs> They've been one-dimensional all year long. They have this 32nd-ranked yeah. rushing offense in the league. They've not had a 100-yard rusher you know, in now, I think, two or three seasons, whatever it is, spanning 60 games. I'm not saying you can take them for granted on the ground. That's not what I'm saying. They could come out and have a good game. We talked about their new options in the backfield earlier this week. Yeah. But you know where the point of emphasis is going to be. It's going to be on Matthew Stafford's arm. It's going to be on those receivers. Eric Ebron has become a very capable tight end in the middle of the field as well. So that is where you have to be looking. The cornerbacks, we'll see again if you can get Demarius Randall out there this week with the knee injury they missed last week with, potentially match him up with, with Marvin Jones Jr. You have Morgan Burnett potentially being able to go up against either Ebron or maybe Golden Tate. They are healthier in the secondary, as strange as it sounds. It seems like going into this contest. So I think that can be a big plus for them and allow those guys up front to be able to do the work that they need to do. Yeah, another thing you have to watch out for now with Matthew Stafford is his ability to, much like Aaron Rodgers does, to catch the defense with 12 on the field, exactly. to catch you in the middle of a substitution. And it was funny, I asked Mike McCarthy about this just briefly in his Friday press conference, and and he said, hey, don't forget about TJ Lang, sort of suggesting that it might have been Lang that shared some of the secrets yeah. with Stafford as to the mechanics of it, like how you do this, what you watch for, a code word, you know, all these, all these things that the Packers have done over the years with Rodgers to catch 12 on the field. And I remember watching the Thanksgiving game against the Minnesota Vikings this year uh, in Detroit. And uh, Stafford ends up throwing like a 40-yard touchdown pass on he a did. play where he had a free play with 12 guys on the field. The 12th defender actually didn't leave the field and provided double coverage, and he completed yeah, the pass Terrence for a touchdown Newman. anyway. Yeah, Terrence yeah. Newman. So you got to watch out for that because this, this is just another area where Matthew Stafford has taken his game to another level compared to where he was a couple of years ago. And, uh, yes, the Lions aren't going to the playoffs this year. They've had a disappointing season. There's a lot of talk about whether Jim Caldwell will be back as head coach or not. But Matthew Stafford is the constant with this team, and I've, I I just see him, he keep, continues to add things to his game every time the Packers see him. Yeah, and absolutely a beautiful pass going back to that Thanksgiving game. I believe it was to <laughs> Marvin Jones Jr. Yes, if I'm remembering I, off the top I think of my you're, head. I think you're correct. And Terrence Newman, actually, a lot of Packer fans, we get this a lot in inbox saying, well, if you get caught for 12 minutes on the field, why don't they just stay on the field? That's what Terrence That's Newman what, did. Yeah, he was, trying, like, he was trying to run off, and then when the snap was made, he just turned up the sideline and ran with the wide receiver for double coverage, yeah. and they completed it for a touchdown. It's 
Stafford still got it there. But yeah. that is the dynamic he adds. And, I mean, g- g- keep in mind now, I mean, Matthew Stafford is a veteran now. For a number of years, he was the little brother kind of in this division. He's eight years into this thing. He's a Pro Bowl-type quarterback. He's had his ups and downs, but on any given week can go off in, in terms of that passing game. Packers have to be very sure about that. The one thing that I think helps Green Bay going into this, as strange as it sounds, the ability to play some of those young guys last week like Reggie Gilbert, Lindsey Pipkins, if he's called upon again, those guys have some work now. They have some reps, and they produce when they got the chance. So Fresh uh, legs, too. Fresh legs. So we'll see again. Maybe it's Matthews, maybe it's Ahmad Brooks, and maybe it looks more like the usual core of pass rushers. But they know that they have Reggie Gilbert there, too, if they need him. Yeah, all right. With that, uh, let's toss to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkiewicz over there. And Wes, I want to talk about a little bit of a milestone that's being reached in the media world this weekend. Our 300th episode? No, it's actually not for us. Oh, okay. Not for us. All right, that's fine. But uh, on Sunday at Ford Field in Detroit, from the Packers Radio Network, Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarron will call their 312th game regular season and postseason combined for the Packers radio network and that is actually going to tie Jim Irwin and Max McGee for the most games on the Packers radio network as a duo I think that's pretty cool I mean I grew up listening to Jim Irwin and Max McGee on the radio loved what they do I love what Wayne and Larry do um, the fact that the Packers, in essence, and I know Larry was kind of a bridge because there was a three-man booth there for a while, and he was a bridge uh, you know, to Wayne then coming in as the play-by-play man in 1999. But uh, I think it's pretty neat that the Packers now have gone all the way back to 1979 when Jim Irwin and Max McGee started, that they've essentially had just two radio teams going yeah. going all the way back to the late 1970s. That's pretty neat. It is neat, Mike, because, I mean, you even look at, like, with the Brewers and, and obviously Bob Euchre in the run he's been on, but he's had a lot of guys with him. Yeah. You know, to have two guys together, that's such a special run. And I've said this, you know, many times before, and I'm sure Larry would probably get mad at me if I said it. I really hope people appreciate Larry McCarron and, and what he's brought not only on the radio, but you know the the other avenues. I think he's one of the greatest ambassadors in franchise history of Packers football. I agree. Um, and we, you know, you hear so much about Bob Uecker, and rightfully so. One of the greatest to ever do it. A multi-platform type personality. I mean, I see Larry as a lot of that with the Packers, though, too. And for him and Wayne to have this run together um, after that that tremendous run over Wayne and McGee. You mentioned listening to them growing up. I listened to Wayne and Larry growing up yeah. as a kid. So yeah. uh, that, that's just the way this thing goes. And to have that, I think it connects everybody. It's the voice. And, and how often do you see it too, Mike, that you and I will answer inbox and they'll, people will ask or they'll mention who the court, you know, the, the announcers are for a particular game. And no disrespect to them, but they say, you know, we turn that down and, and we listen to Wayne and Larry. It's it's happens every week. Yeah, and I talked with uh, Wayne and Larry for a, a piece I'm doing, my One Last Look column that will be posted Saturday on the website, is about uh, this milestone of theirs and matching Jim and Max. And a comment that Larry made to me was really interesting. He said he really credits Jim and Max for 
all of those people who do exactly what you said, which is they turn down the volume on their television and they listen to the Packers radio network broadcast because people did that with Jim Irwin and Max McGee. They've continued it with Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarron. And just to give uh, folks the breakdown on the numbers, Jim and Max, 1979 through 1998, 312 games, 296 regular season plus 16 postseason. Wayne and Larry together beginning in 99 through 2017. Now this will be their 312th game, 288 regular season and 24 postseason. A lot more success overall for the franchise with uh, with Wayne and Larry. And uh, Wayne actually told me that that's actually helped them in the sense that uh, they didn't need to develop sort of the the homespun humor, the, the, the down-home folksy type of broadcast that Jim and Max did which is what uh, which is what really entertained people yeah. when the team was not doing so well Wayne and Larry have covered a lot of very successful teams they've been very much more of a hardcore X's and O's type of team just interesting the way it's evolved but uh, but you know hats off to uh, to both teams uh, for for what they've done over the years for the Packers it's funny you bring that up too because I know talking to my dad in the past too about Irwin and McGee about how that was almost kind of one of the comical things about listening to the Packers specifically for him in the 80s yeah uh, during some of the lean years there the fact that those guys always found a way to still keep it entertaining keep it light and obviously um you know keep you set on everything else that that's going on almost away from the field uh but yeah from from Wayne and Larry's perspective an amazing run they've been on some tremendous games they've been able to cover and certainly uh you know a lot more to come yeah and I think we can all remember hearing those radio calls from Jim and Max back in 1996 when the Packers won the NFC championship and were going to the Super Bowl the the joy the unbridled joy in their voice all those seasons that they had been through and to get there they they really personified what Packers fans were about at that time they did and I recorded that too I still have that recording on a cassette tape I actually had it good like, for you there the entire time I, I used to be big into that kind of stuff that's neat that's neat well uh, before we go to a break Wes picture this you and a friend are sitting VIP in plush leather recliners watching the Packers on the fifty yard line at Lambeau Field nice picture isn't it well if you enter Cousin Sub's best seats in the house promotion you and a could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. For complete rules and eligibility, go to Packers.com slash best seats. Cousin subs, we believe in better. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes here, our final segment heading into Week 17. The playoff picture, some spots still to be decided in both conferences. In the NFC, you've got one spot available between the Falcons and the Seahawks. The Falcons host the Panthers. If they win it, they get it. If they lose, Seattle can get it with a victory over the Arizona Cardinals. You got a prediction how you think this is going to fall? It's kind of like Family Feud, you know, where you can be like, you know, it's either you get it or they have a chance to steal. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm hoping the Falcons win this. Um, I think I, they're going to. I think I, they're going yeah. to find a way to win at home. Carolina's a good team. I think Atlanta finds a way to win at home and, and get back with a chance to defend their NFC crown. Yeah, and everything. I mean, you look at the way that this – conference and everything's set up right now. I, I just want to see the Falcons have another chance at it. I'm not saying they're going to get on a run. I'm not saying they're going to have a chance to redeem themselves after last year, but it would be, I think it would just be more interesting to see them have a chance to get in the playoffs and see what they can do from there. To me, Seattle, even if they win this, they're a broken team. Uh, yep, they're they're I riding, 
Russell Wilson right now. The defense is banged up. A lot of questions are across the board there. So, um, and that's I'm not trying to rip on Seattle. I'm just saying I just don't know how compelling they would be in a playoff scenario. I, I think Atlanta could make for some really interesting matchups if you get all three of those NFC South teams in the in the big race. Yeah, I agree with you. And on the AFC side, you have four teams right now competing for two spots, the Baltimore Ravens, the Buffalo Bills, the Tennessee Titans, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Baltimore is the team in the driver's seat. They can win and get in. They can also get in fairly easily if just one of the other teams loses, essentially. I don't know exactly the entire scenario, but I think Baltimore is going to get one of those spots. Who gets the other one is a very interesting question because I think Tennessee is the next one with control, but they've only won like one football game in the last month or month and a half. They were 8-4 at one point. Yeah, they've slid slid down Los Angeles, the Chargers. They were hot for a while. They kind of cooled off. They lost a, a big game in Kansas City where they were in the hunt for that AFC West title and then the Buffalo Bills have just kind of hung around they they haven't been all that impressive but they haven't fallen off the face of the earth either do you have any prediction here what do you think it is interesting because I know I've read some stuff out there saying if they wouldn't have really benched Taylor not to say they would have won that game but basically the Peterman game could end up being the one that ultimately tilts the season for them yeah five Uh, interceptions in the first half yeah whether or not that they make the playoffs here wow I actually think the biggest game is probably Jacksonville and Tennessee Tennessee's trying to squeak in Jacksonville needs to regain himself here I mean they got lit up by Jimmy Garoppolo so I mean that's going to be key I think for them to try win this game get themselves in the playoffs and feel good about where they're at uh to me i've said it all along mike i think baltimore is a better team than people give them credit for i I don't know it's wide open a part of me i think would like to see buffalo make it just because it's been so long i think it's the longest skid right now in the nfl right even more than cleveland dating back to 1999 this century they have not been to the playoffs and their defense has played well at times micah hyde obviously a pro bowl safety there so i i'm i think That's the team I'm kind of looking for right now. Okay, well, it should be an interesting Week 17 for sure. But with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, you can still find him at Wes Hod. I am at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team count. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next year.